From deep within a gold mine in the Sierra Madre Mountains, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men who don't need no stinking badges, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yeah, we are, uh, we're closed now on accepting submissions for the new openings. We're going to aggregate those and uh, record them shortly with Corey, and then... Uh, oh, no, Corey's always in the room when we do them. Yeah, Sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Corey, uh, are you going to record the new intros for us? Yes, I am. <laughs> I will. Wow, Corey, thanks. That's fabulous. And uh, we have a Vox box today. <laughs> not yet, not yet, Aww. no, not yet, not yet. And um, what else do we have? We've got we've got some great new movies, great uh, classic movies. A uh, lot of gosh, we got look at look at Olive film. Look at this stack here, what Mark. The, what the this stack right here? Yes, this is all the stuff from Olive. You remember when Olive was releasing like two and three titles a month? Yeah, you know this is Olive has just cranked it into overdrive. It is unreal. They are just they're a machine well, now. Well, you know what that means when you're a machine. Quality goes down. It's or not. Does it? It's not. It's or not. They're just getting great titles. They're okay. just getting really great titles, and a lot of it is kind of programmer stuff. It's uh, it's like you know serials and the old John Wayne things. I mean, they're really, really just mining all of that old John Wayne stuff that people haven't seen for you know 170 years. So right now, there's a transfer monkey who's very yes. happy because all it's keeping him in business. Unless he hates John Wayne, in which case he's just who, who hates John Wayne? I don't know. You know. Some people hate John Wayne. Like like engines and redskins, exactly. They hate him because he's always out like messing with their stuff, man. <laughs> their stuff and junk. <laughs> oh, the old westerns. Um, but uh, in other news, yes, I don't know. The, the movies suck right now. I was I was on I was on radio, you know, a week or so ago, and uh, it was just it was dreadful. Well, because it's not, uh, you know, what's funny is that, like, you know, we know what time of year this is. Yeah. This is the time of year where nothing of interest comes out. It's just dreadful. And so the fact that it's dreadful, we should know that. Well, now. but that being said. There's good Blu-rays out. There's good Blu-rays. And uh, right off the top of the bat. Yes, Wade. Right off the top of the bat. I don't even know what that means. Is that, am I mixing metaphors? Is it the top of the show? It, uh, right off either the one bat, is fine. Off the top of the bat? I don't know what that means. Off, off the top of your head? We're going to talk about one of the uh, a film that was actually going to be a front runner for uh, best picture at the recent Oscars at one point, and uh, it wound up not even winning the best director award that a lot of people thought it was going to get because we're into a period of Spielberg hate again. We go, we all, we vacillate. Spielberg loves, Spielberg hates. Spielberg loves, Spielberg hate. We're in a period of Spielberg hate, it seems again. We're talking, of course, about Lincoln, which won Daniel Day Lewis uh, his third best actor Oscar, making him the most honored best actor recipient in Oscar history. Damn right. And Tommy Lee Jones's wig is the real standout star of this movie. No, actually, Spielberg is a real standout star because he actually winds up uh, tamping down much of his Spielberginess, which is really what it's funny. That's part of that is what got him the nomination, yeah. but it's also what lost him the award. True, that's a really that's a really good point. That's an excellent point. <laughs> it really is. I had I I'd given that no thought whatsoever. Um, like most things, you give it no thought whatsoever. None whatsoever. Anyway, this is. I a, like this movie a lot. I do. I. <sighs> I, I, I respect it's a, it. It's a great script, and it's uh, Spielberg as you've never seen him. It's Daniel Day-Lewis giving a towering performance. It is a towering performance. Now, that being said, it's not my favorite Lincoln performance. I, I think Gregory Peck is better. I think Gregory Hen- Peck I think is Hen- not better. I think Henry Ford. Four score and seven years ago. I think Henry Ford was better. Um, uh, Henry Ford. Henry Fonda. Henry Ford. Where did I come up with that? I was thinking of John <laughs> Ford and Henry Fonda, and I came up with Henry Ford. You, the the, the car guy? The car guy, he was much better. You know, when he was designing the Model T, he was going around doing Lincoln wow. at a dinner theater. It was amazing. Wow. He was a jack of all trades. No, uh, Henry Fonda, not Henry Ford. Um, gosh, Henry, Henry Fonda and young Mr. Lincoln, John Ford. This is where my mind was. I'll be quiet. Stop. By the way, an amazing transfer. Yes, amazing transfer. It's really beautiful. This film is shot on film, uh, unlike a lot of other movies these days, and they do everything they can to make sure that the Blu-ray represents exactly how the film looked, the film film looked, and it's, uh, it is a beautiful transfer, wonderful textures, great latitude, and uh, this is a four-disc combo pack that I have in front of me. There is a smaller Blu-ray set and a, Blu- and a DVD that you can get as well. Uh, this has, uh, you know... Now, the smaller Blu-ray set only has two 
extras on it. Basically two extras. Here's but, what you, but the big one has all these extras. It's all of it. You got the Blu-ray plus bonus stuff on uh, the first disc. Then you got a second Blu-ray disc of tons of tons of ridiculous amounts of stuff. And then you've got a DVD that has all the same stuff that the first Blu-ray had, and then you've got the digital copy. So it really, the, from a Blu-ray standpoint, this is only a two-disc set. The other two are really probably negligible or repetitive. Um, but really incredible stuff here. Just uh, a extensive documentary and featurette material that does not just go into the movie, but it goes into the history. It really decides, you know, what we want you to, to learn more about this very important thing. And so they take their academic responsibilities very, very seriously. And um, that's interesting because my reaction to the movie was, boy, that really was a very impressive and important film. And uh, uh, I feel guilty because I didn't take notes. I felt like I, like this was a class, you know? I felt like oh, I was eating yeah, my vegetables, like somebody was making no. me take my vitamins. Oh, the script was so good. Like, it, it, just, it, just, it just carries you away, and you realize that you're, you're, you're sitting through a, basically a, a, a backroom civics lesson, but I, yet yeah. you don't care. You just love it. I know, but, but I didn't love it. I, 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 I felt like I was sitting through a backroom civics lesson. <laughs> That's that was it, and of course it ended ten minutes too uh, too late. Yeah, like it, most people, it, it, dra- it drags on a bit at the end. But that look, I, I, I give it all the credit in the world. It is it is a very very smart script. Um, I think he, um, I think it's almost too smart at, at times. I think people are a little bit too eloquent. I know people spoke differently in the eighteen sixties, but I have a very hard time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you do that a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have a hard time believing that that uh, Lincoln uh, was was. You know, always speaking as if he was, you know, delivering the Gettysburg Address. Um, but you know, look, I mean, it's uh, it, it's a quality film, and I can't I can't be overly critical of it because so few movies like this actually ever get released anymore. But why is it PG thirteen? That's what I want to know. Oh, because it's got uh, yeah. nothing. <laughs> no reason for that. No reason. No reason whatsoever. Short yeah. people got no reason. I know. Anyway, no reason it, to it's, live. Wade. It's absolutely worth owning. That was a song, uh, by the way. Yeah, I know. Don't sue me. That was a song. Okay, fine. Or sue me. It's still a song. Boy named Sue me. Boy named Sue. Johnny Cash. All oh, very good. And uh, a little thing here, real quickly, I'm going to make mention of, uh, since it just happens to be within arm's reach, is something that did. I don't think this got a theatrical release. Down to the shore, the Gandolfini thing with Famke Jansen. This didn't get a release, did it? No, not that I know of. Yeah. What? Uh, what the hell? What's up with this? Why are these movies getting any releases? Um. Yeah, Gandolfini is is really really good in this. He plays a guy who who runs a, a ramshackle Jersey Shore amusement park, who is forced to sort of reconcile himself to some uh, deep dark hidden family secrets when uh, some French dude shows up and says, uh, "I got your your dead sister's ashes in this urn, and by the way, uh, I was her husband." Kiss my ash. I know, right? Um, Fuh. It's you know what this is a, this is a really I guess it would have been hard to market and that's a problem is that a lot of these films despite having good casts and good scripts and and having very interesting ideas if they're just too hard to market because everyone has to make their money back in about ten seconds flat uh, nobody actually wants to put the effort into you know sort of hoeing the rows and and going through the the necessary work to kind of mine these films for their potential over the long haul. Everyone wants to make their buck in about two or three weekends and move on. Well, that's why Open Road is uh, picking up some interesting films. Yeah, but I, you know then movies like this fall through the cracks. So this is on Blu-ray from Anchor Bay, and I, I think just Gandolfini alone makes this worth watching. And it's interesting that he chose to do this. It clearly was a part that uh, spoke to him, and he does a really, really good job with it. Famke Jansen, a terrific supporting part. She's doing really interesting work. I passed her on the streets of Paris about three or four years ago. Right. She's tall. She's getting older, too. And looking better and just becoming a more a richer actress as she gets, gets older. I really? have to say that. Yeah, I think so. Although I heard a rumor she's in the new uh, Wolverine film. Really? Yes, I did hear that rumor. Do not know if it's true. Have not seen the film yet. Well, very good. Uh, Wade, uh, strange casting in this one. Hyde Park on Hudson, which uh, Bill Murray plays uh, FDR. And not, I to, not bad. I no. actually, I, I bought, I kind of bought him as FDR. It, uh, it we own it. It just takes a while to realize that this is not a, not an SNL skit. He's not playing this for laughs. That he's really trying to, uh, you know, play FDR. Yeah, and it's not bad. Laura Linney, who's always good, uh, is also in the film. And uh, I don't know what to make of this film. I, I kind of did like it. It it, um, it raises some interesting uh, points about FDR and his uh, infidelity. It's uh, it's definitely a lighthearted film, maybe more lighthearted than the uh, subject matter would uh, necessarily uh, warrant. 
But um, I think this thing definitely has some charm, mainly because of Bill Murray. I don't know whether if you hired a an, an actor on the order of Daniel Day-Lewis, whether this film would have gotten some more love or attention. Uh, it just seemed like a bit, what? Bill Murray is FDR? That's just weird. I it's, think that was kind of the first and probably only reaction to people who saw this it's film. It's very theatrical. Uh, it's kind of slow, but it's nicely done. And uh, he's surprisingly good. I mean, is he, the, is he the great FDR of all time? Not even close. Oh, but, no. I mean, Henry Fonda is much better as FDR. Thank you. Henry Ford even better. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very, you know, kind of tame, workmanlike, and intelligent movie. And I like how it sort of uh, wraps around with the king's speech a little bit, you know? You, you, you sort of have, you know, the king and queen are, are in this as well. And it, uh, I, I think it's, you know, a little interesting historical linkage there. And I, I look, um, it's history, right? It sure is. Just no like, doubt just, about it. just like Lincoln, it's another president. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it's a whole thing. It's a whole Wade. presidential deal. It's a whole, it's a whole presidential nightmare thing. Uh, Wade, um, I, uh, I have a, a, a trivia question for you. Yes. And when I say trivia, I mean um, trivial. This, this is this is my opinion. Okay. Name for me. Oh, I know where we're going. The I best, know where, the, name we're, for me, the best director who just did not have this. a career. We all wanted him to have. We are we're going to have our our the conversation you and I have had many many times. The our philosoph- <laughs> waxing philosophical about the the lost possibilities of Phil Kaufman's career. I know it, it was. I know what you're saying. It's but but think about this. He could have been one of the greats. He could have he could have won an Oscar. All these directors, all these directors have most of them have these intense periods. We think of them as having these like long, great careers, but if you think about it, like the Kubricks are very few and far between. Where you go, wow, he made great movies in like four different decades. Coppola, Coppola exists in the seventies. He does. I mean, Coppola is like nineteen seventy-two to nineteen seventy-nine. That's his period. That's Godfather One, Godfather Two, Apocalypse Conversation, now. Apocalypse Now, and it's and then it's and then it's kind of over, right? Pretty much, it's kind of over. I mean, Scorsese, we're kind of old. You know, we sort of start with Mean Streets and we kind of end with Goodfellas. I mean, his Scorsese. But even that's pretty good. That's 70s, 80s, and 90s. And then yeah. he winds up winning the best picture in the yeah, 2000s. But, but, he's not, that's, but who, you know, anyone could have made that movie. I, I, I'm not saying it deserved it. But and, it, it you know, I mean, David Lean made some great movies, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, but, or 40s, starting the 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, right on. And then he got his, you know, Passage to India in 1983. But. Still, I mean, the lean period is like 58 or 56 to, or no, it's 57, Brisbane River Kwai, 57 to about, you know, 65. That's it. That's, that's like, that's when he made, you know, Lawrence of Arabia and Bridge of the River Kwai and Dr. Zhivago. That's kind of the deal right there. So um, Philip Kaufman had that period with, you know, the, the right stuff. Unbearable Lightness of Being, Henry and June, and then it's kind of over. It is kind of and well, I love Body Snatchers. I mean, that's not a that's yeah, not a but, but, it's not like a great film that an Oscar winning director would true, make, but true. it's still a terrific film. And he also created the character of Indiana Jones. Let's not forget that is true. So anyway, that brings us to this this uh, television movie that just kind of came and went, and nobody paid much attention to it. But the thing was nominated for fifteen Emmys. The title, uh, Hemingway and Gellhorn. Yeah. And it's about Ernest Hemingway, played by Clive Owen, another actor who kind of... What happened to that guy? Uh, he'll show up again. He comes and goes. Yeah. He's cool. He is cool. He had a super cool moment, and now it's kind of like, what happened to you? You know what happened to him? What? He lost out to... Uh, he, he lost the James Bond uh, franchise uh, thing. He, he lost the sweepstakes. Because it was be- between Daniel Craig, he and Daniel Craig, and Daniel Craig got the call. And then he just said, uh, screw you. I'm going to go away for a while and take a vacation. Well, the thing with Hemingway is that uh, it's got some great individual scenes. I don't know that it comes together totally uh, as a great film, but it's just nice to see Philip Kaufman back. It's nice to see Clive Owen. Nicole Kidman is, is I always like Nicole Kidman. Maybe it's not uh, fashionable to say that, but uh, I do like Nicole Kidman as Gellhorn, who is also an accomplished writer along with Hemingway. Um, and, you know, it's just an interesting film. Again, I, I don't know that it comes together totally as a, as, as a coherent work, but there's some great individual shots in it, great individual scenes. Um, performance-wise and in terms of the way it was shot. But um, ultimately, I don't know why this thing was nominated for 15 Emmys, but uh, what are you going to do? Blu-ray featurettes include uh, Behind the Visual Effects and uh, a Making Of. And there's an audio commentary with Philip Kaufman and uh, the editor, the great Walter Murch. Love Walter Murch. I know. So Hemingway and Gellhorn, uh, you know, it's good in fits and starts, but overall it's, it's only okay. 
Alright, I'm gonna do a, a little, a quick blitz on some horror stuff here. And there was a pile before, when I was sorting out some of, uh, some of the stuff we were gonna talk about over the last couple of weeks, there, there's just a gigantic pile of horror that has arrived over the last four weeks. And we're never going to get to all of it, but I, I need to touch on a few of them. And it, I, I was trying to figure out, why are, why are there so many horror films coming out in January and February and March? I mean, it's insane how much horror is being released. Uh, I don't have an answer for that, but I will say that uh, Stitches is pretty damn funny. Uh, Stitches is another evil clown movie, as if we needed another one. But we kind of do, because this is really, really cool. And it, this is going to be a cult film for a long time to come. Trust me, this is this is really going to catch fire. Um, it, it's you know, evil clowns. It's kind of hard to actually do an evil clown now because they've been done so many times before. And I think uh, Tim Curry doing the evil clown in the uh, uh, in the, the Stephen the King Stephen thing. King thing, yes, uh, it. Uh, it. Uh, he kind of capped it all off, right? I mean, that, he's just so good in that thing when he's in the sewer and he's doing his little walk and his dances. He's just he just creeps you the hell out. And evil kill even killer clowns from outer space can't touch it. But I gotta tell you, Ross Noble in Stitches comes pretty damn close. Really, really, really great. Um, <laughs> I won't tell you anything else about it, other than this is the clown you absolutely want to invite to your kid's birthday party. Man, is that going to be a party to remember? Uh, not if you love the kids, of course. If you if you hate the kids, it's a great thing to do. But definitely check out Stitches. That is um, that's from the uh, MPI subsidiary Dark Sky Films, and it is a it's not the greatest Blu-ray I've ever seen, but it's definitely worth checking out. And then Takashi Shimizu, who did uh, The Grudge, he's one of those J horror directors. Uh, does did this thing called Tormented in 3D. And uh, I, I had a hard time figuring out whether or not this was supposed to be camp or not. It's um, it's a, a little bit uh, you know Japanese movies sometimes seem to not really know if they're like like they they start out thinking we're doing something for laughs this is funny and then they decide you know what better if we don't do this for laughs and then I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh or not well the, the ultimate is battle royale yeah kind of I mean it's funny but it's not funny yeah but it kind of makes there's a lot of logic holes in that film yeah well anyway let's put it this way this kid murders a a bunny on the playground and I know Mark's going to check on cookies it looks like Uh, okay fine anyway uh, and then this thing takes this whole kind of phantasmagorical twist and turn and uh, I just don't know what to think of this movie but uh, it's stylish it's creepy I guess I'll give it that much Frankenstein Theory from the uh, creators of The Last Exorcism This uh, this is an okay film um, probably should not have been in theaters, but it's it's worth checking out if you're a horror fan. It's predicated on the idea that the what if the Frankenstein story, what if Mary Shelley wrote her Frankenstein story about a real experiment? What if it was fact-based? And this is all in the present day, and there's a guy who decides he's going to go and get to the bottom of what the real experiment was that he think inspired the uh, story of Frankenstein. Uh, it gets a little silly, it gets a little ludicrous, but I, you know, for, for a movie that uh, falls into the genre camp... Um, it at least asks some interesting questions and goes in directions that most horror films don't. So I thought it was uh, refreshingly a little bit more intelligent and unorthodox. Uh, not much, but but enough to be worthwhile. And then this just dreadful, horrendous, disastrous pile of poop. Um, Mark, did you see the collection by chance? No, I don't like those sorts of movies. I know you don't. I wish you had it's seen ridiculous. it with me. I had to talk. I had to see this. I had to. I had to go see the screening. And then they sent me the Blu-ray. Uh, the uh, this is Blu-ray and Ultraviolet, uh, all on one fantastic. You must never get anywhere near this uh, Blu-ray DVD set. The this is the this is a sequel to the collector, which uh, both of them are are gift from some of the guys who did a bunch of the Saw films, and they effectively said, you know what, um, the Saw films were not enough for us. We're going to try and basically do even more Saw films, but but not with the Saw moniker. Well, thank you, Marcus Dunstan. You are a director whose work I never ever ever want to see again, especially since at the screening I was at. Dunstan um, spent like 10 minutes reading one of his own horrible poems before the screening. Yeah. It was ridiculous. That sounds so, dreadful. The idea here is this is a guy who, who goes around and slaughters people and then uh, takes some of them hostage and uh, keeps them all in this weird, dilapidated, old uh, warehouse complex where he has created like this bizarre 
it's like his own little living zoo and museum and he you know puts implants in people and drugs others and turns them into living zombies and Yawn. anyway there's a guy who's Not a survivor and he has to go and rescue a, a rich guy's daughter oh, who's a, who's been kidnapped and it's all cool and stuff and junk yeah whatever it's totally rad yeah whatever it's all junk and cool and they stuff. want this to become like a new franchise it won't happen it's just it's gruesome it's, it's just it's, gruesome it would have happened already it's gruesome it's too gruesome. Yeah, anyway. but it's all cool and stuff. I love that stuff, dude. Oh my god, did you see how he killed that guy? It's so rad. I'm so glad I'm alive. Yeah, whatever. And then uh, also another movie that I hated, and I'll spend very little time on this. Um, uh, Tim Heidecker of Tim and Eric fame. Uh, I hate those guys, and I really hate him. He. Uh, this is a Tribeca film. He starred in this movie called The Comedy, which is anything but. Uh, directed by Rick Alverson, and essentially, he's uh, he's a spoiled guy who's about to um, inherit his dying father's stuff, and he's just running around doing whatever he wants to do, and and just being generally disgusting and vile and and insulting people, and uh, he seems to have no limits and no boundaries, and that's pretty much it. That's just a, just a movie. It's ninety four minutes of an offensive guy who has no boundaries, doing whatever he wants, and. Uh, It'll make you angry, especially if you had to pay money to watch it, uh, whether in rental or uh, or in the theater, or if you are unfortunate enough to be conned into actually buying this on DVD. I think this is a horrible, horrible movie. Stay as far away from it as you can. Tim Heidecker, please get another job. Go away. Don't ever make another movie. Leave. Leave my screens. Uh, you know, there's some interesting French thrillers that have been coming out the last couple of years. Uh, the the most the uh, the one that made it to the states was Tell No One. And uh, that caused quite a splash. And uh, yep. there's, there's another one that didn't make theaters here, but it's still pretty damn good. It's called The Big Picture. Now, the, oh, big yeah. pi- the Big Picture, of course, is not the uh, Kevin Bacon comedy from the uh, – what, what was The Big Picture? Like the late 80s, early 90s? Remember, Something like remember, that. You, 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 you remember The Big Picture. It was a Hollywood satire. Yeah, it's uh, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Yeah. This is not it. Yeah. Uh, this is a very uh, kind of Hitchcockian thriller that uh, I thought was – you know what? It's um, – it's pretty well done. It stars uh, a French guy. It's one, one of those. One of those French guys. Hey, he's a French guy. He's got this perfect life. He's got like a you know, beautiful wife, a couple of kids. You know, guy's a lawyer. Uh, his mentor is played by Catherine Deneuve, the great Catherine Deneuve. And, uh, but there's sort of a secret, a secret to this guy's life that I will not uh, get into because uh, it's going to ruin the movie. So um, it winds up... Uh, sort of developing into this kind of interesting little murder mystery, kind of unpredictable, sometimes stretches uh, credibility, but still it's, uh, it's very tense, kind of exciting, and uh, I liked it. It's a little bit like um, uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, actually, ah. in that sense. Uh, so I liked it. The big picture, French film. Groovy. You know, Mark, some weeks ago we talked about The Hobbit, and uh, I mentioned that they did not send us the 3D Hobbit. You know what they did? They sent it to us anyway. They sent it to us anyway. Yeah. So so us. so I uh, I decided I'm, I said you know what I still have pretty good recollection of what the thing looked like in 48 frames in 3D. So let's see how um, let's see how it looks on uh, 3D television cranked up to 120 hertz. And I got to say it looks pretty close to be honest. It really does look pretty close. Um, clarity somewhat you know I mean the the, the dimensionality the 3D effect not quite the same. I think something the, the 128 hertz does does a weird thing, and I'd love for somebody who's a little bit more tech inclined to explain to me what the what that might be doing and screwing with the original 48 frame um, concept. But um, you know, uh, it, it was it was pretty close. It was surprisingly close, in, and still not as effective as watching it in. Uh, you know, the regular 24 frame. And even, I still prefer it without the 3D. I what still I, do. What I like is that uh, Peter Jackson had gone up and down yeah. talking about how 48 frames yeah. is going to be like the new thing. Yeah. You realize that I have not heard one film no. announced being shot in 48 frames. No, and have in you? fact, in fact, uh, James Cameron is, it sounds like he's almost backing away from doing 48 frames for Avatar 2 and 3. That's right. Interesting. Yep. Uh, what's not interesting is Parental Guidance, which is the best film from 1988 that I've ever seen, <laughs> because it stars Billy Crystal, Bette Midler, Marissa Tomei, and uh, Tom Everett Scott. That is a movie from 1988. Well, wow. Not only is it a movie from 1988, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was um, it was written by... 
Oh yeah, Babalu and uh, the Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel. They took a pass at it, although they don't get. Uh, They're not principal story credit. Yeah, yeah, I don't see it there. But uh, you know, it, the movie was directed by Andy Fickman, who I actually worked with once uh, years ago, and is a really, really cool, great guy. Uh, but he makes terrible films, <laughs> of of which this is his latest. Uh. Um, you know, this is one of those uh, multi generational films where you figure, oh my God, the the the, the parents will love going to the multiplex to see Bette Midler and and, and Billy Crystal and uh, you know and Marissa Tomei, and the kids will love seeing kids, and it'll be disgusting because you know Billy Crystal throws throws up chili on a kid's face. It's hilarious. Yeah. That's what kids love nowadays, isn't it? Uh, they don't. No. Anyway, uh, it's funny because now Billy Crystal's playing the grandparent. And Miller playing the grandparent. So funny. I know. Hilarious. Anyway, this thing's just a piece of junk. The Sandlot. 20th anniversary, The Sandlot. Uh, you know, it's amazing to me that this movie, this is a, a Blu-ray DVD combo set. Uh, is this sufficiently popular to have a special? It's culty. 20- it's culty. It is culty, isn't it? It's weird. It's Look, just, they, it, they made a couple sequels. I know, it's just strange. I it just took don't a while know. to make the second. I think I the just, second Sandlot was like in 2005 or something. I don't know anyone who loves this movie. Mm. I really don't. Anyway, uh, this is uh, it comes with a bunch of collectible trading cards and, and all that stuff. Otherwise, uh, you just have a, a featurette and a trailer and, and TV spots on both the DVD and the Blu-ray. There's nothing really all that special about this other than the collectible cards and a, uh, a slip cover, a sleeve that, that's got kind of a little embossed uh, you know, baseball stitching motif on it. Um, but otherwise, it's still the same old Sandlot, and it appears to be uh, a perfectly serviceable but unremarkable 20th Century Fox uh, Blu-ray transfer. So don't buy into any of that premium uh, anniversary stuff. It's uh, it's fine. It's fine. The Sandlot's sort of like the baseball version of a Christmas story. It kind of is, it's right? Like this That's like a beloved thing that it's like this beloved baseball film that baseball fans love for some reason. I guess it's just like that. By the way, you looking forward to 42? I am. You know, I, I, I think I posted this on the Facebook page, which why haven't you joined our Facebook page yet? Uh, Brian Helgeland has been awful as mm-hmm. many times as he's yeah. been good. And Harrison Ford is not the best judge of material anymore because he's basically just horrible. Mm. Um, so that kind of worries me. But I don't know, man. I just I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I don't want to admit to myself it's going to suck. Yeah, we'll see. Why? What, what do you think? What, what I don't, what I don't know. Early thoughts. I have no early thoughts. I, 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 I change diapers all day long and get no sleep at night. That's freaking kids, ridiculous. They uh, think they're so smart. And, how did, and you know, while we're on the subject, and we're going to get to a Vox box here in a moment, but, but no, not no, not yet. Aww. But while we're on the subject, um, what uh, seriously? How how is it that I was trying to talk you into being on the Colcoa jury? And then suddenly, now you're not on it, but I'm on it for the third time? Well, because I talked happen? to them, and they said that, they, and we were both afraid that I was not going to be able to see all the films that oh I was... Oh, goodness. I had. And there's upwards of like 32 films that you yeah, have to see in like two weeks. I know. Okay? Well, now, I'm most gonna, come I'm on gonna, screeners, but that's okay. But I'm still. not getting any sleep at night, so I'm going to... Uh, I'm just I'm going to sit around and just, you know, at night when I'm changing diapers or waiting for diapers to be changed, waiting for the baby to scream, I'm just going to sit there and just watch movies. But what I don't understand is I talked to the guy. Yeah. And he says, well, we're, you know, we'll pass on having you on the jury because we're afraid you're not going to see all the films. And then they turn around and tell you, well, you're not going to be able to see all the films. Welcome to the jury. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference? Well, I think I'm going to be able to see almost all the films. Okay. So we'll see how it works. Anyway, uh, I real quickly want to blow through some stuff that is particularly timely. We did not have a chance to uh, cover this DVD last year when it was released, and I just figure it's, it's, it's time that we remedy that. Uh, Nanny Moretti made a movie, a very funny comedy last year, called We Have a Pope. And now that we have a new pope, I figure, why not talk about this? Did you see this, Mark, by chance? I did not. This is a great movie. Really? This is a great movie. This is hysterical. Um, you know, Nanny Moretti is a great Italian filmmaker, makes wonderfully quirky comedies. Uh, in addition to serious dramas like The Sun's Room, which won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, which is a really grueling movie about people who've lost a child. I mean, it's a really tough movie. But otherwise, he makes really wonderful, light, frothy, uh, thoroughly enjoyable uh, comedies. And uh, in this... The idea here is that uh, there's a cardinal who's been elected pope, but he he can't sort of bring himself to sort of accept. So Nanny Moretti essentially is this psychiatrist who has to uh, help him work through his issues so he's willing to actually accept the job. It's very funny. It's a great concept. 
It's and like King Ralph. It kind of is. And so, the, so <laughs> you know, it, now that we've gone through all this stuff with the conclave, I mean, that's a word that we only... Do you ever hear the word conclave in any other context? Only in papal context. I know. Only in papal context. You, you know, I love Papal Magazine. That's Good night, everyone. Thank you. Uh, so anyway, it's very, very funny. I wish this were on Blu-ray. It uh, should be on Blu-ray, but it's only on DVD from MPI. But it is a very, very fun movie. Only has one extra. Uh, it's a trailer. But uh, definitely check it out. It's, uh, even if it's just for rental, it's a lot of fun. And then a bunch of movies that are, are gay-themed, which we're going to uh, roll through right now because this was a big week if you're gay. And it'll even be a bigger week if the Supreme Court rules uh, in some kind of a favorable context on two different issues. One is Prop 8 in California, the other the uh, Defense of Marriage Act at the federal level. But it looks like at least one of them is going down. And uh, so it's a, it's a good time to be gay. And, uh, you know, I figured good time to go through some gay movies. So we got one here called, um, well, let's see. Let me, let me, let me. Uh, in the herd just a little bit because a lot of this is just kind of stereotypical stuff like there's you know a lot of a lot of I, I, I do have to say a lot of a lot of gay movies you sort of you look at them and you go if you're right if you're really trying to defeat stereotypes why are you engaging in stereotypes it is true it's uh, very strange a, a, to me a lot of gay theme films are like that and yeah. it's kind of annoying because sometimes when you see one that tries to just tell the story of a person who happens to be gay yeah as opposed to a gay person yeah it's always better yeah well, here this is a live, uh, "Love Free or Die" was a uh, Sundance documentary film uh, in uh, last year, and uh, this is a, a very this is from Wolf, which is uh, does a lot of uh, a lot of gay themed stuff. This is actually a really really good documentary. This is um, the story of Bishop Gene Robinson, who is an Anglican bishop, and um, it, it has been you know sort of the the he's been like a. A key, a key gay rights figure for a number of years, and has uh, really sort of changed, I think, the religious perspective on uh, on being gay for a lot of people. And he's controversial in the extreme. Don't get don't get me wrong, but this is a, a very penetrating look at him. A a really, um, uh, it's not an impartial look, but it is. Um, it's an honest film. And uh, for that reason alone, I think it's uh, it's worth checking out. So that's a that's one to recommend. Um, we've got Strange Frame, which is also from Wolf, which is uh, a, a a weird, strange, odd, futuristic, um, animated, psychotropic thing that takes place in the 28th century on a moon of Jupiter, and. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's a, it's really probably the most unconventional gay theme movie I've ever seen. Um, don't know that it's all that commercial, but um, you know, uh, it, it's got maybe a little bit of crossover interest. I don't know. Did you have? Did you, did you look at this? It's like a, it's like a futuristic animated lesbian movie. If I see another futuristic, animated I know, lesbian right? Movie, I'm just gonna go nuts. I know. I totally. will explode. Got a few titles here from Aristical, which is another uh, company that distributes a lot of gay-themed stuff. Uh, Luna Park, kind of a you know a boilerplate uh, gay romance movie. Saltwater, um, more honest actually. Uh, this is by a director named Charlie Vaughn, who I think has some real crossover potential. Um, again, it's a it's a you know it's a gay romance, but it just feels uh, it feels a little less uh, kind of in the boilerplate stereotypical realm. And then uh, the Wishmakers, which is actually kind of funny. And even though this one feels a little bit like it's uh, playing off of stereotypes, you know, like look at some of the pictures in the back, the topless guys sitting yeah, in bed. It's see, like, it's oh, just, you know. Uh, but you know what? You know what makes this good? You know what makes this thoroughly enjoyable? The topless men. Sally Kirkland is in it. Oh, God. And Sally Kirkland is certifiably insane. So I, anytime Sally Kirkland's in a movie, I'm, I'm always there. Also from Aristical, um, we got a couple vampire things. Somehow being a vampire and being gay have all now gone hand in hand. I don't know where that came from. But uh, one is called Vampire Boys 2, The New Brood. I did not see Vampire Boys 1. I imagine it's probably pretty much exactly the same kind of thing. It's, uh, it's gay men biting each other in the necks. And the other one, which is essentially the same kind of a deal, vampires brighter in darkness. Same kind of deal. Yeah, you know, uh, topless men biting each other in the necks with some cheesy special effects. But it's, it's a subgenre now. Being gay and being a vampire, same kind of deal. And then lastly, 
from QC Cinema is Out in the Open, which is a documentary by Matthew Smith um, about uh, basically, you know, uh, coming out. It's 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 uh, it, it's sort of trying to destigmatize all of the uh, the preconceptions about the gay community, and uh, it, it's trying to be a little bit of a catch-all film. This is a distributed by Breaking Glass, made by QC Cinema. And um, it's good. It's it's not brilliant or anything, but it's uh, got you know they nabbed a lot of celebrities, uh, you know Greg Louganis and Eric Roberts, and there are a handful of people of, of note who are interviewed here. And I think it uh, ultimately winds up having a uh, a positive message, even if it's not much of a film, you know, by film standards. And there, ladies and gentlemen, is your gay theme DVD roundup. That's it. <laughs> it is. Game, All right. Game, DVD roundup. You know what time it is, Mark? It's, oh, well, can I sing the song? Do it. Hi, Wade. Hi, Mark. This is Adam Ballard from Monroe, Louisiana, and I wanted to know, what are some of your favorite guilty pleasure movies? I'm talking about films that you don't want industry peers to know you enjoy. I, for one, love the Wachowski Speed Racer film, despite it being universally reviled. I saw the trailer about a cheesy real-world adaptation of a cheesy race anime, and that's exactly what the film delivered. I'm sorry that it wasn't The Hurt Locker, but for what it was and what it set out to be, it was glorious. That said, any skeletons in the cinema closet that you'd like to share? Thanks for putting on a stellar show, and keep up the great work. Thank you, Adam. Uh, that's a really good, that's a really good question. You know, let me tell you something. I'm... I think that uh, uh, the next time I'm in Monroe, Louisiana, I'm going to the Raw's Cafe at 1100 Sterlington Road, or maybe maybe I'll go to Cotton at 101 North Grand Street. What does that have to do with um, this question? I, I, I'm, I'm on the internet looking at Monroe, Louisiana. <laughs> I love Louisiana. I was in New Orleans for the first time last year for uh, uh, jazz. Yeah, but he didn't ask oh, you. Great. To, he, he didn't ask you. He asked you about your guilty pleasures. Um, what I'm saying is, is that if I want to go to the Ronin Japanese Hibachi Steakhouse <laughs> at 1119 Garrett Road, I'm going. Oh, what? Or would... you know what? Actually, here's what sounds better: Sam's Southern Eatery. On 300 Layton Avenue. What would we have done without the internet? The uh, guilty pleasures. I'm I'm trying to think if there's anything. Oh, come that on, I... Robin Hood Men in Tights. No, Robin Hood, not Men in Tights. The Robin Hood with Kevin Costner. It's my yeah. guilty pleasure. That's your guilty pleasure. I like that movie. Yes, yeah, and Escape from that. New York. I I can't think of any many movies that I'm embarrassed to admit that I like. Um, you know, for uh, the the big example of a movie that I love, which everyone else reviles, is uh, well, you know, it's Strange Brew is kind of a guilty pleasure. Um, that movie sucks. I, I don't know why it. you like that movie. It's just the worst. <laughs> back, have, have you back, watched that film go, recently? Yes, yes. It's terrible. It's, it's, that movie's just terrible. It's not funny. <laughs> Paul, there was nothing funny about that movie. Not in that puke breath, I'd kiss you. I think that movie's hysterical. Fleshy-headed mutant. Uh, it's great. Back, back. Go back to the asylum. Max von Sydow's in that movie. I know. I mean, how I often just, can you hear a guy? How often can you hear a guy go, "Oh, poser"? It's just. <laughs> It's not funny. He's just a poser. He's a hoser. Whatever he says. Not poser. Oh, you know, how about this? Oh, here's one. How about Flash Gordon? Uh, you know what? Flash I l- Gordon. Yes. The, I love that movie. I love that how movie, too. Not? That's That's a good guilty pleasure. Um, the uh, the one that seems to always come back and haunt me is Eye of the Beholder, which I saw at the American Film uh, film Market years ago with a, a the original ending, which uh, Stephen Elliott eventually chopped off, and it made for a weaker film, and it got just savaged in other reviews after my market review had already given it five stars and declared it one of the greatest thrillers ever made. And I have people who uh, who kind of snicker at me when they hear like, oh, yeah, well, I the beholder. Yeah, thank you. Um, whatever. See, the, the, the problem is nowadays is that they make movies that they want you to think are guilty pleasures before yeah, the like snakes true. on a plane. Yeah. It's like snakes on a plane is like, please make us a cold hit. Yeah. Please make us a cold hit. Right. And you know, the audience has to decide that the filmmakers can't decide I that. I agree. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know. Way. Although I showgirls mean. would be like showgirls. That's oh like the gosh. ultimate. Uh, and you know, I have to ask Andy Klein who it was because I, I love his story and he may have forgotten already. Whoever Andy Klein was sitting next to, when uh, when we had the press screening of that at the National, that was just legendary. I mean, that was an epic, epic press screening. That was, was he a, there? Andy was there. Andy was sitting over on the opposite side from us. Um, and, you know, Christy, my wife, wound up actually doing a lot of um, after-the-fact post-production work. Not even post-production, but like kind of uh, corporate work on that after-the-fact. And uh, wound up with some of the wardrobe from the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> 
eBay. Um, it uh, anyway. I remember you curling up into a fetal position about forty minutes in, and that just. Was me. <laughs> And Andy, whoever Andy was sitting next to, at one point was laughing so hard, he turned to Andy and said, this is the greatest film I have ever seen in my entire life. So anyway, um, Mark, we got a couple of criterions here. You want to go first, or should I go first? Whatever. All right, I'll go first. <laughs> should you flip a coin? Uh, no, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, Robert Bresson's A Man Escaped, uh, Robert Bresson. We love Robert Bresson. He's uh, awesome. He, he's, he's just great. Uh, wonderful, wonderful director. Um, who just kind of perfected the minimalistic acting, the uh, the restrained, uh, kind of hyper-religious, uh, dra- hyper-melodramatic um, storytelling of the 1950s, uh, kind of a, a precursor to the new wave in all the best possible ways. And uh, this, is a, this is a beautiful, beautiful film from 1956 in uh, typically spectacular criterion black and white, and it's based on the true story of a, um, a French resistance leader. And it's an unusually kind of... Um, it's, it's, it's got a little bit more flair than the usual Brisson film and a little bit more pace. It, uh, not, you know, there are no sort of angst-ridden priests and, uh, and dour, desperate women. Uh, this, is, this is almost more of a thriller, and, it, uh, and yet it has a kind of a spiritual dimension to it. It's a really, uh, it's a really, really powerful film, and I'm so glad that they, they came out with this on Blu-ray. It is a beautifully, beautifully photographed, a fantastic uh, transfer, and comes with all kinds of great uh, extras, including a 1984 documentary called The Road to Bresson, which has uh, interviews with, among others, believe it or not, Louis Malle, Paul Schrader, and Andre Tarkovsky. And uh, then there's another documentary called The Essence of Forms from 2010 that has a lot of uh, people who worked with Bresson. Uh, featured in it, it uh, it's just really, really a, a wonderful collection of stuff that just pays great homage to a great director and a great film. So this is highly recommended. This belongs on the shelf. Uh, speaking of uh, great films, Monsieur Verdure ah, yes. is the uh, is an interesting film because it kind of uh, it's one of Charlie Chaplin's most controversial films. It is actually, yeah. It uh, comes late in his career, 1947. And at the time, he was kind of uh, suffering through a whole lot of uh, controversies and scandals, and his uh, reputation had kind of taken a little bit of a hit. And this film uh, is kind of one of the first, if not the first, where there's absolutely no semblance of the tramp mm-hmm. or any of his you know, classic characterizations and mannerisms. Uh, this is just a strange little movie about this unemployed banker who yeah. is trying to support his wife and how he does it through murder and all sorts of other crazy... This, uh, I think this movie gets better with time. This was a, an unfairly maligned movie for a number of years, and uh, I think it was just really misunderstood. But I think it, it gets much better with time. Well, what's interesting is that the film actually, the origination for the film was Orson Welles. Orson Welles had, come, right. to, had come to Charlie Chaplin and said, I, I want to make a film like this, and then... You know, uh, Wells eventually, I believe, had nothing to do with it, uh, but Chaplin took it over. But it's funny because when you look at the film, it says on the on the uh, on the artwork, it says a film by Charles Chaplin. Yeah, that's right. This is not Charlie Chaplin. No, this is Charles Chaplin. That's right. That being said, the movie is still you know it's still there's still some funny stuff in it. It's still very clever. Uh, it's still a lot of fun to watch. Again, um, I think that American audiences maybe weren't that thrilled with it, but. Chaplin had more success with it in yep. uh, in Europe, but uh, it's finally getting the attention and uh, and the due that is uh, finally. Uh, what am I saying? I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what you're saying. Okay, what I'm saying is that it's a good film and good it's movie. finally getting its due. So you got to at least rent Monsieur Verdoux. For sure, Mis- do it. Monsieur Verdoux getting its due. Yes, it's Verdoux. That's what I was going. See, I was going for the doo doo. Yeah, that's but okay. then it didn't happen. It didn't happen. No. Uh, Twilight Time is a wonderful, wonderful label. We've talked about them uh, a lot. And remember, the only, you know, the Twilight Time stuff, uh, what they release, they are limited releases. They only make so many of them. They all have uh, isolated uh, score tracks on them. And you can only get them by going to www.screenarchives.com. And once they are gone, they are gone, as they say. Um, so these, uh, these limited releases, it's usually about 3,000 or so units. And three uh, unbelievably fantastic new releases. I can't believe that the, that they were able to license some of these. Christine, John Carpenter's Christine, 
which is one of my favorite John Carpenter adaptations uh, from the 80s. This is just a sensational movie. I was uh, This is from like 1983, that legendary year of 1983. Uh, or was it 1982, which was a legendary year? 1982. 82. How dare uh, you, Tron, uh, you know. E.T., Star Trek II, Blade Runner? 82, 82 is the year of Gandhi for me. How dare you. So anyway, Christine uh, is just a great film. It's just a great film. And Keith Gordon, who, of course, had done um, Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield, stars, and, uh, you know, you don't see alignment like this in American cars anymore. And it's going around curves. It is, uh, this is the ultimate evil car movie. And it's just great. It's a wonderful transfer, and uh, they just nailed it. They knocked it out of the park with this. I am so, so happy that uh, Columbia let go of this and allowed Twilight Time to uh, to take hold of this. They did a great job. And then also, this is another one I can't believe that uh, the 20th Century Fox let go of this one. The Fury, for crying out loud. Brian De Palma's The Fury. This was his follow-up to Carrie, and uh, it's about, you know, psychic uh, kids. Amy Irving and Andrew Stevens. Amy Irving, by the way, is one of the psychic kids. And you know what? This this is a, an absolutely ridiculous plot somehow made super unbelievably cool by Brian De Palma. This movie was just awesome when it was released, and uh, those of us that saw it uh, were just wowed by it. It features an amazing John Williams score, which uh, really, really gets just amped up here to the, uh, to the nth degree. You could just turn the movie off and play the score and be blown away. It's really, really awesome. It's an, a totally underrated John Williams score and an unbelievably fun movie. And John Cassavetes shows up in it. You know what else John Williams scored? Uh, one more here for Twilight Zone, Twilight Time, Mark. You weren't even listening to me. I know. Song of Bernadette, which is a great movie. Song of Bernadette uh, is the kind of movie that uh, Robert Brisson would have made. Uh, Henry King directed this back in the venerated old year of 1943, right after you know stuff like Citizen Kane and Casablanca had hit screens. We suddenly come up with Song of Bernadette, which is uh, a retelling of the story of the peasant girl who uh, you know believed that she had um, you know well. You know, Bernadette was uh, allegedly having visions of the uh, Virgin Mary, and uh, that was a, a big deal at the time. I don't know if you could make this movie today without it sort of feeling cynical, but uh, Jennifer Jones, who I've hated in many other movies, is really, really good in this. And uh, the movie, it, it dates surprisingly well um, for a film of, from that era and of this particular type. You know, there were a lot of religious movies around that time that kind of were... Uh, they were they felt a little bit uh, overwrought and exploitative. Um, this verges on that a little bit, but it's still a very very good film, very good transfer, very intelligent script, which is mostly the reason that it's good by George Seaton, one of the great screenwriters of the '40s. And uh, Lee J. Cobb is in this of all people. Can you believe that? Lee J. Cobb. It's just strange seeing Lee J. Cobb in a movie that has like a religious theme to it. Normally, when I see Lee J. Cobb in a movie, he's he's getting ready to shoot somebody in the head. You know what else? You know what else? Lee J. Cobb was in uh, college. <laughs> uh, are you ready to, get, to go with run with that? There, I set you. That's up. it. I'm pretty much done okay. running with it. There's nothing else to be said. Uh, anyway, one of the great Buster Keaton uh, full length comedies. And when I say full length, this is 1927, so we're talking like uh, like an hour. Um, <laughs> college is really a lot of fun. Buster Keaton, by the way, did not direct this. Although I, I heard a story about how. Um, uh, the actual director, uh, this guy named James Horn, uh, directed it. But Buster Keaton actually hated James Horn and found the guy was like totally worthless. But anyway, don't know if that's true. But uh, either way, it's Buster Keaton in top form. And the movie is uh, constructed to uh, take advantage of all of Buster Keaton's athletic abilities. Because in the movie, he's got to play a waiter. He's got to play a, like a soda jerk. He plays a baseball player. He's essentially falling in love with a girl, and he follows her off to college. Follows her to college, and he's trying to get into the college by being like he's you a know, stalker. Uh, he's he's a of, stalker. He's kind of a stalker, actually. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really fun stuff. And again, it, you get to see him doing very athletic stunts, and uh, it's good stuff. It's uh, Kino always knocks it out of the park with Buster Keaton releases. I don't know how they do that. They love Buster Keaton. And they do a really good job. Audio commentary by uh, Rob Farr, who's a film historian, and he's quite good. Um, there's also an interesting extra here. There's an industrial film that uh, Keaton appeared in in 1966 called The Scribe, and uh, Kino is claiming it's uh, believed to be Keaton's last filmed performance. I don't know if that's true, but uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Buster Keaton in uh, college, and the good folks of Kino. All Wait, right. Yes. What, I'm, I'm gonna, what I'm gonna, Well, I'm going to roll through some uh, some of these olive titles real quickly because we're running short on time. We only have a few minutes left. So, uh, and we have this gigantic pile of olive titles. And I just talked about Twilight Time. Olive is the other great company that we're always talking about who licenses uh, uh, movies from other companies, primarily Paramount in this case. 
And uh, this is it's, uh, this is just a huge, huge month for them. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go through these because I really don't want to miss any of these titles in case uh, people are really, really interested. A um, bunch of John Wayne titles, as they are continuing to do. They're really picking up a lot of these old John Wayne movies: Westward Ho, The Lawless '90s, Wyoming Outlaw, and A Man Betrayed are all perfectly serviceable. Man Betrayed is uh, is you know more of a gangster movie than than a western. But the one in here that really really stands out and these are all very good transfers. I have no complaints about any of these. Uh especially considering that the elements for some of these films were probably in just crap condition uh to begin with. Uh, they really did a good job. But 1963's McClintock uh or McClintock with John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. And remember, the title of this movie comes with an exclamation point after it. It's not just McClintock. It's McClintock exclamation point. Directed by Andrew V. McLaughlin, who was one of a handful of directors who specialized in westerns at the time. Great, great, great anamorphic widescreen uh, technicolor. Just beautiful transfer here. And, you know, John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara... No strangers to each other on on screen. Wonderful uh, chemistry. And uh, here again, just fantastic chemistry. Movie is really a lot of fun. And I liked it more the, you know, this is probably about the fourth time I've seen this. I actually liked it more this time than I have any other time seeing it. So uh, Wayne is clearly getting older and more grizzled here. You know, we're just a few years away from... uh, from True Grit and uh, the Green Berets and all those movies he kind of made in his twilight years, and he's you know he gets better he gets better and better and better. So uh, I, I, this is the one that really stands out of all the John Wayne movies from Olive this week, and then other Olive titles. Believe it or not, uh, Live Nude Girls does not have any Live Nude Girls in it. This is a, uh, a low-budget um, kind of drama comedy from 1995, which my wife actually worked on, believe it or not. So I saw this in a number of incarnations. There's actually one cut in here that is hysterically... Uh, some, it, it's, one of, it's some of the worst continuity cutting I've ever seen. <laughs> a woman... Um, it's... Uh, what's her name? The actress says... Is it Cynthia Stevenson, I think, in the shot? Stella Stevens? I think Cynthia Stevenson is the one in the shot. She, she walks through a gate... And then the next, she's like walking into someone's backyard. She walks through a gate, and she opens the gate, and she just like says hi, and she walks through it, and then closes the gate. And then in the next shot, as she's approaching and carrying, continuing her conversation with the girls who she's approaching, she's like 27 feet further on. In one cut, she has moved like, it's like she's taking a gigantic long jump leap. It's hysterical. But actually, the movie's not bad uh, for the most part. It has uh, one of the it's, – it's all about the differences between men and women. And, uh, you know, you, you got the, the one woman who's going to get married and all the women are talking and all the men are talking. And everybody's kind of talking about the differences between men and women. And it's one of those kind of insightful relationship movies that were all the rage in the 80s and the 90s. Great cast. Dana Delaney, Kim Cattrall, Cynthia Stevenson, Layla Robbins, Laura Zane. And Olivia Dabo, uh, even though the movie is not Olivia perfect. Olivia Dabo was cute back in the day. She had she her was. moment. Even though it's, it, how old she is. it's by no means a, a perfect film. It's by no means. Oh, no, it's perfect. A, a it is a perfect film. It's it by, the perfect <laughs> It's film. by no means even a. It is a, a flawless <laughs> Thank you. Film. <laughs> it's got, it's got there problems is, galore. There is nothing wrong. <laughs> Literally, it is perfect. <laughs> but it's enjoyable. I will say that. I'm just saying, don't it go might in. be the greatest <laughs> Oh, you're making yourself laugh, and you're making me laugh at the same time. That's what it is. Literally, we should stop making films now. I, I hear you. We have now achieved the perfect film. The, Olivia Dobb was 44 years old now. Wow. Isn't that wild? She doesn't look it. Uh, and then we have a couple of pulpy uh, genre films that I never would have expected Olive to come up with. Highlander 2, uh, the renegade version. Uh, this is just, you know, it's such a weird movie, Highlander 2. All other Highlander movies are crap. The second one is not particularly good, but for some reason, because it was also directed by Russell Mulcahy, it's the, it's the one that a lot of people seem to think is the only genuinely honest sequel in the, the whole Highland, Highlander saga. Um, I, I think the movie is kind of fairly bad, but um, you know Michael Ironside is is interesting in it. He was uh, sort of one of the uh, the bad guys du jour back in the eighties and nineties, and um, this is, this is an early nineties movie. It's like an eighties movie made in the nineties. So it, there it is. I mean, it's an interesting get for Olive, and then also the Running Man, which we yeah. love. Yeah, we friggin' love the Running, running man. man. Now there's a guilty pleasure movie, totally directed by Starsky for crying out loud. Yeah, um, really. yeah. This is like the original. Screw that that Hunger Games. 
Games thing. It's all about the Running Man. I know. You know? Come on. Uh, Running Man is a great movie. One of the great Schwarzenegger movies. Um, great campy comedy. Uh, great action. And, you know, here's the thing. Yes, Starsky directed it. True. Paul Michael Glazer, you know, who doesn't has even have a directing career anymore. He should have done uh, better with it than this. But what I love about this, not just Richard Dawson parodying his own game show persona uh, is the, the host of this, you know, this violent awesome. gladiatorial game show. performance. But what I love about this, you actually get to see two United States governors go mano a mano. Wait, you're saying Arnold Schwarzenegger and, uh, and Jesse Gray, Ventura and Gray Davis? <laughs> yes, exactly. Jesse Ventura and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And in that moment, you watch that and you go, wait a minute. Those two guys, they, they ran... They were, they were, wow. And then you're, you're going to want to get drunk. Now, wait, uh, let me tell you some of the other uh, uh, movies that, or projects that Paul Michael Glazer directed. Yes, yes. Uh, three episodes of Miami Vice. I knew that. I knew that. Uh, Kazam. Oh, the little guy from the Flintstones cartoon? The Shack yeah. movie. He directed that. Uh, and he directed uh, actually you know what he has been directing a little bit he directed uh, an episode of Criminal Minds he also, lately he has uh, he directed an episode of uh, Criminal Minds no kidding good for him and some episodes of uh, Las Vegas the new Las Vegas the oh wow one from 2005 no whatever kidding it is. I'm telling you oh, there we go good for him and then let's see and then I'm going to uh, I'm going to save some of these others but I uh, want to make mention of these last three here these are these are great olive titles um even though I don't particularly care for this movie, Irreconcilable Differences, this is one of those last uh, Nancy Myers and Charles Shire movies that they made together where they, they just uh, they, they brought out the worst in each other. This is about Ryan O'Neill and Shelley Long getting a divorce and poor little Drew Barrymore torn up in the middle. It's just maudlin and saccharine and, and, and horrible in a thousand different ways. And yet somehow I'm nostalgic for this movie. Can you explain to me why? You know why? Because uh, we were children of divorce. Yeah. At least I was. Yeah. And this resonated with uh, Children of Divorce from the 80s. I guess so. I guess maybe because I had a lot of friends that were, uh, uh, you know, get from divorced families. Anyway, uh, Sharon Stone, actually, with her unshaved armpits, this was one of her first, uh, one of her first uh, kind of big cameo moments where people were like, who is that woman? Quite funny. Uh, this is also one of the last movies where Ryan O'Neill could legitimately claim to be a leading man. And Drew Barrymore is adorable. Totally, you know, transforming her momentary uh, bit of... Uh, attention in um, E.T., you know. I mean, she was not the star of E.T., and then suddenly she was the one that came out and Henry Thomas was nowhere to be found. Wah, wah. Yeah, Drew Barrymore's been famous for, like, every moment of her life. I know. It's true. And she's wound up being, it seems like she's pretty well-adjusted, I guess. Very much so. She's become a producer, like a legit producer? Legit producer, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, Charlton Heston in Julius Caesar, William Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. This is a this is actually quite a, a, a quite a good adaptation of Julius Caesar, I have to say, from 1970. Um, directed by Stuart Burge, I think you pronounce his name Burge or Burge. Um, you know what I mean? It's it, it compares very favorably to um, Star Wars. Hmm. No. It compares very favorably to the Brando version, I would I would say. So, uh, you know, a lot of people have problems with Charlton Heston in it. Um, you know, it's John Gilgood plays Caesar, and um, uh, Charlton Heston plays Mark Antony uh, in typical kind of Moses fashion. But uh, I st- I think honestly, I I think this is just a, a very very cool adaptation. Jason Robards, uh, Richard Johnson, uh, Diana Rigg. Love Diana Rigg all the time. Robert Vaughn, Richard Chamberlain, Christopher Lee, believe it or not. Really an interesting cast. Uh, very, very well-made film. Nicely shot and a, and a terrific Blu-ray. And then the last, this is kind of, i got to say, this might even be my pick of the week, Ironweed, Hector Babenko's movie of... Um, yeah. Yeah, right? Fuck. Jack Nicholson Blah. Jack Nicholson and uh, Meryl Streep. I agree. What has happened to Hector Babenko? That guy was all the rage for a moment. I mean, it was Kiss of the Spider Woman and then Ironweed and uh, you know, he made a couple of other films. Uh, he made it he wound up going back to his Brazil. Uh, he went back to Brazil, made films there. I mean, the last decent movie he made was probably he, Look, at Playing the Fields of the Lord was like That was like that, that, that kind of did him in. That's the one where like Kathy Bates ran around naked. Is, yeah. it, is that that yeah, one? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah, you know what the end. When you make when you <laughs> You make me watch Kathy Bates naked. You go back to wherever you're from, and you do not return. 
Well, anyway, Ironweed, I think, is a great movie. This made my top ten that year. I think it's a genius, genius movie. Um, 1987. And it's a, it's a, it takes place during the uh, Depression. And uh, it's a kind of, I don't want to say it's magical realism. It's sort of more hallucinatory uh, in, in you know, the way that it puts you inside the heads of Meryl Streep's character and Jack Nicholson's character. You know, these down and out uh, alcoholics during the, uh, the Depression. Um, but man, it's just beautifully photographed. It's so moving. Jack Nicholson is so powerful in this film. And even though it has a nasty scene where Meryl Streep gives a guy a hand job in a car, um, somehow I'm not offended by any of it. It just, you know. And you know, isn't it perfect that Tom Waits is in this movie? Oh, Doesn't this feel like the movie that Tom Waits is like? It's the only movie he can be in. Of course, I mean, he belongs in 1938. Any, any, any movie that 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 either takes place in 1938 or on some sort of Skid Row, yeah. or both, deserve Tom Waits. You got it. It's the only thing that Tom Waits is good for. Uh, anyway, uh, this is adapted from a novel. Should point out William Kennedy, who is himself a great screenwriter, adapted his own novel for this. And uh, the weirdest part of this movie is that Rob Cohen was an executive producer. <laughs> It's the strangest thing in the he's world. Had just, a, he's, he's had an eclectic career, Rob Cohen. He sure has. But anyway, this is a great movie. A, a wonderful, wonderful Blu-ray transfer that captures all of the nuances of some incredible photography. Really a, a masterfully put together film in every conceivable way. And uh, don't uh, overlook the John Morris score. John Morris does not really uh, score movies anymore. He's dead, isn't he? Did he die or is he just well, too John old? Well, John Morris, you see, uh, if, if memory serves, John Morris um, scored a bunch of uh, Mel Brooks films, right? Yeah, he did all the Mel Brooks films. And he also did uh, The Elephant Man for David Lynch because it was a Brooks film production. Great composer, one of the most underrated composers. And he hasn't done anything for ages. Uh, that is true. It's a great score anyway. Great score by, by John Morris and Ironweed. Um, you're, you're making me find out what happened to John Morris, aren't yes, you? Yes, I am. I sure am. Absolutely. Hang on. Let me find out. Robert Morris. No, Robert Morris? No, John Morris. John Morris. John Morris. Hang on, wait. Don't don't end the show now. No, I'm not going to end the show. Show not ready to be ended. No. He's 86 years old. See, that's why. He's 86. He, he has not done a film since the TV movie in 2004. But here, he, here's some John Morris films. He, actually, I thought he'd uh, done more. Um... The producers, Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, Silent Movie, all the uh, Mel Brooks stuff. Yep. But he also did, um, what else? Johnny Dangerously, The Woman in Red, uh, well, Spaceball, Dirty Dancing, Ironweed. And uh, that's it. Wait, uh, there's a movie called Brother Bear. Oh, dear. And uh, it's a Disney movie, and it comes in a two-disc Blu-ray collection with uh, Brother Bear 2. Brother Brother Bear 2, Electric Boogaloo. (laughs) I just think there's so many Disney movies out there right now that it just needs to stop. I mean, you know, wouldn't you rather just watch, like, The Incredibles one more time than watch Brother I would. Bear? I, I honestly I mean, would. honestly, seriously. Yeah. Now, this is from 2003, so it's not like it's a new Disney film. And uh, the voice cast is interesting. If you've ever wanted to know what Joaquin Phoenix would sound like as a Disney character, this is your one and only chance to find out because he top lines this voice cast which also includes Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas so and D.B. Sweeney so you can tell already this is like old stuff um, it's fine I, you know I, I just don't know what to tell you it's like uh, reviews were kind of mixed on this thing it just felt like it was a pale imitation of movies like uh, Lion King and mm. even Ice Age yeah. you know it's just not that great so pairing it with Brother Bear 2 only they really only do that just to kind of make it a little more enticing to buy but ultimately it's not a great Disney film well, as long as we're talking about Disney, I'm going to wrap out with a couple more Disney titles. Better late than never, right, Mark? The, uh, the Tim Allen and the Santa Claus collection. Okay. We should have talked about this at Christmas time. Totally they, inappropriate. They should have released it at Christmas time, they did, did they? They did. Oh. They just didn't send <laughs> it to you. Seriously? You're just getting this now? I pursued it. I, I pursued it because, you know, why the hell not? Uh, I just felt we should have gotten it. And, uh, you know, it's good for the web searches. That's that's my point. Anyway, uh, Tim Allen and the Santa Claus movies, Santa Claus 1, 2, and 3, totally inappropriate to be talking about right now in March. But why the hell not? That's what we do here at the DigiGods. Um, the first one is really the only good one. 2 and 3 are just horrendous. I'm, I was just appalled. I was totally appalled. Um, I had seen 2 before and had forgotten what it was like. Never saw 3, the whole Jack Frost thing with uh, Martin Short, uh, just stunningly bad. 
could not believe it. Anyway, but the original Santa Claus is uh, is still a thoroughly enjoyable movie. I actually really enjoy it. It totally holds up, and uh, it's got uh, you know a short on it and a featurette, which you know the others have some bloopers and featurettes. Nothing much to speak of by way of the extras, but uh, you know perfectly serviceable. And this is the one that I that it, I really the I have to be honest. This came because I was pursuing this because this to me is a more important film. You love that. I love it, and this just transcends the holidays. Um, this was important for us to talk about. Annette Funicello in Babes in Toyland, which is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful movie. Uh, doesn't have to be seen at, at holiday time. Don't make this necessarily a Christmas movie. Jack Donahue uh, directed this uh, really underrated Disney classic that uh, everyone kind of you know forgets even exists. And uh, this is when Annette Funicello was still in the Disney shop right before she went and did the beach movies, and uh, which created a huge, huge uproar and a lot of bad blood between Walt Disney and Sam Arkoff. And Sam Arkoff, to, to the day of his death, just loved the fact that he got underneath Walt Disney's skin. It just validated him, made him feel like he'd uh, achieved something in life. Um, if you're not familiar with Babes in Toyland, you know, it's um, based on the, the, uh, the light opera. And uh, it, is, uh, it is just uh, delightful in every conceivable way. Beautifully photographed, uh, wonderfully acted, wonderful set design and art direction, uh, and it's a great Blu-ray all around. Uh, by way of extras, ne- absolutely nothing, which is shocking for a Disney release. But the, the transfer is great. And uh, this is a, you know, I'm getting into family films now because I got a kid. I gotta, I gotta start being, I gotta start paying attention to the stuff that I want her to watch because when I was five, my parents put me in front of Tora, 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 and Patton. Do I do that with my daughter? Do I expose her to Patton when she's five? Horn. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Unky Mark. You're not getting anywhere near the house. <laughs> we're, we're, we're bolting the doors. You're, you're like the uncle from hell. That, you're terrifying. Thank you. Yeah. All right. See you next week. <laughs>